is expecting you. Welcome back to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Welcome back because today we are finishing up with the second half of the invasion, the Day of Black Sun Part 2, the thrilling conclusion to the invasion of the Fire Nation. So, today on my panel, Corey is back. Greetings. And replacing Chris is a different Asian whose name begins with CH, Char- my regular panelist, Charles. Hello, what's up? We have to have at least one Asian whose name begins in CH. So it's a quota thing. You've not missed one so far. I mean, I oh, no, have, because no. Corey and I have... Corey has been on it. Although, I think pretty much every episode has had at least one person with the name that begins with a C. I've I mean, been I, almost 100%. You did miss the Clone Wars episode, but that show begin with a C, so it's okay. <laughs> pretty ridiculous. C's are the most important part of all of this. So... Let's just kind of get dive right in. Um, as we explained at the end of last week, this is definitely a two-part episode. So we didn't end up rating last week because it would be kind of weird to rate part one when that really isn't a conclusion. It's really just halfway through. So this is kind of the secondary part of that episode. We really only broke them up because we didn't really want to go for three hours because three-hour podcasts, while kind of fun, often lead to us being really tired and saying kind of incoherent stuff. So we're breaking up between the two weeks, but in reality, treat this as kind of part two of last week's episode. So Charles, you weren't here last time. So why don't you give us first your overall thoughts on part one and then your initial thoughts on part two, and then Corey and I will talk. Uh, all right. Thoughts on part one. Um, I, I think it balances... Uh, First, I love the setup, you know, getting everybody together, you get little throwbacks to each um, arc of the series so far, with people coming back, and then, like, small 10-second size pieces of, oh, this is why these people are memorable, which is helpful, especially if you haven't been, um, like, gunning the episodes all in a row, or if, like, it's been a, a decent amount of time in between when you've seen like I, I I shouldn't speak for everybody but I know for sure when I was originally watching this I I didn't remember who the fucking engineer guy was until <laughs> yeah the mechanist I didn't remember who he was until they like he appears out of the ship having blown up something it's like oh it's that dude alright um, so that's really fun and then I, I like how they that episode balance uh, like small comedic. I mean, you know, this is something Avatar typically does well, but we we do criticize uh, slightly. But this episode really did well in balancing small moments with um, you know the overall more serious combat fo- uh, focused nature of it. Um, I mean, the obviously animation's great. Seen, I hadn't seen it in a while, so I was pretty hyped when they uh, they pulled the submarine ship maneuver. That's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, 
not a not a thing you can do in real life. But uh, well, we no. don't have waterbenders. Yeah, exactly. We don't have waterbenders, so you know, pretty dope. Uh, caterpillar tanks that uh, contract and squash fire army tanks somehow. Pretty, also pretty cool. Um, and you know, it, it's obviously very touching that uh, after they do the raid and the. Not cannons, uh, trebuchet, I guess. That's what they yeah. Them. On on the battlements, and uh, you know, Sakaguchi's father, Hakoda, gets uh, injured. Basically, passes on the torch to Sakaguchi's lead, even though he um, had a pretty big case of nerves going into the original presentation. Um. I, I don't want to give you the satisfaction, but I guess I should mention that the uh, farewell kiss, in case he dies, that Aang gave uh, Katara was pretty sweet. We, 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 <sighs> met, we mentioned that last week. You dirty official shipper, you. I, I, I am on many a thing. That's, Not that's... everything, but many a thing. She looked away with an expression of, you know, we're not, no, we're not having that conversation right now. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, and then how it ends where, um, and the invasion's going pretty well. Yeah, they have had some setbacks, managed to recoup and are making a pretty decent push in the city. And then you get the ending scene where at night, uh, yeah, he, you know, enters the throne room, all the fires out, there's no one. No, uh, no guards, no Ozai, neither of the, uh, I forget what their titles are, but the two old ladies that are with uh, them. Um, like, low and Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, pretty, pretty solid place to, to stop for first part of a two-parter episode. Oh, that's pretty cool. Although, frankly... <sighs> Frankly, I, I thought for something like this, that, like on reflection, if goal is basically to assassinate Ozai, why do they need to amass people? Um. Well, the goal isn't like, just to assassinate Ozai. The goal is to assassinate Ozai and have taken the Fire Nation capital so that they have won the war. Right, but does that really work? In theory, I, I the, think... I, the idea being that in, take if you take over the capital, you have kind of you've done a fair amount of work to kind of secure the thing. Let but part of it is also is you also have to take out Ozai because if you take out Ozai and you have captured the capital, well then in theory you've probably captured most of the Fire Nation high command, and at that point you can kind of earn surrender. I also. Yeah. We'll talk about this. We're going to have to talk about this because it's actually a really important question, but I don't think we necessarily know that they're going to assassinate Ozai. You could make an argument that Aang is going to try to force his surrender. I mean, granted. And then the other idea being that once you've taken the capital, we know the Fire Nation is incredibly hard to invade. You now have a defensive position within your opponent's homeland, and then they would have to siege you. I don't think that works, though, because you don't have any 
fuel supply lines, right? They just made a, they, they just made a, you know, the, almost well, a common cause. Well, no, what I'm saying is it, it's why it's important that both that both things happen at the same time. It's that it's not like, let's say Ang goes and takes out Ozai, and that's it. Well, then someone takes over the throne, and everything's the same. The idea being that if well, the Fire he, Nation is going through. If you took out Ozai and Azua, then who's left? Oh, Zuko. That, that's pretty good. That's the end outcome. I'm down. Or, but I mean, <laughs> in theory, that there can be other people in the Fire Nation who could take over. But the idea I being that too. if you <laughs> if you have taken out the leader and you have taken control of the capital, that is effectively winning at that point in this world. I think. I- I mean, I I just don't see it, uh, especially given that it's based in Japan. I don't see that being a, a surrender. It might not be an actual surrender, but if you have taken out, if you've taken Tokyo and killed the emperor or deposed the emperor, however you want yeah, to, yeah, like it. if it, yeah, no, that's what I mean. If if you took Tokyo and you killed the emperor, but you're still surrounded by people that were. You know, obviously it's a little different here, but generally speaking, pretty loyal to the empire. Uh, I don't, I don't see the end so game. What like, so what you're arguing is that this plan is maybe not as well thought out as it should be. Yeah, either uh, like either they should have gone bigger or gone smaller. Well, just, keep in mind you know, that the original opinion. plan was to go way bigger. The original plan was to have the entire Earth Kingdom army mounting a massive invasion of the entire Fire Nation at once. But keep in mind that the Earth Kingdom fell and they didn't have the Earth Kingdom's armies to do it. So No, I know, which is what, why I mean, at that point, instead of taking this kind of like middle grounds route, because again, like, if you want Tokyo as an example, you, you take Tokyo, but every route in and out of Tokyo is still controlled by the opposition, so... Yeah, they'd have to siege you to take it back by force, but they could also starve you out. And I think the I, I also think dumb. that this, you have to remember that this is hearkening back to a point we are earlier in human history where the idea of just taking no, out a capital that, probably mean meant a lot more than it no. Would. I mean, but no, but that's what I'm referencing. Like Japan during the Warring States era, or China during the its Warring States era, like. Capitals got lost. Massive cities got raised to the ground. They still, kept, like, yeah, people but, still. But kept didn't swimming. in theory, isn't that sort of what we're talking about when you're talking about like the fall of the Tokugawa? Yeah, but I understand I it, mean, it's different because it's a civil war versus an invasion, and the a civil war in theory means that you've converted a lot of normal people what yeah I, that being said i do think that the further back you go the more important the individual leader and the capital city was and i think the idea being that if they take the capital city and they take out ozai they are in a really strong position to essentially throw so much chaos into the fire nation which is not really built to handle chaos because they are so regimented and everyone has rules and all that stuff. So they're not particularly well 
well-defined to deal with a situation like that because it's not like you have a whole bunch of generals who all kind of have their own power. Everyone takes orders from a centralized authority. So if you were to sort of take that out, I want to table. Yeah. Because I I, I want to talk about some stuff with Aang when we get there, but I I think let's, let's have Corey and I talk about our initial thoughts and then we'll kind of get back into that conversation. Corey, you haven't actually spoken yet. So, um, so I, Love part two. Um, the entire two part, every single major thing from Avatar from season one, and that's something I completely appreciate and rewards you for like sticking with the show, obviously, and paying attention and stuff. And the more you watch and pay attention, the more of emotional connection it has. I mean, everyone's there from the earth, from the prison ships to uh, the engineer. To- Pretty much everyone you've seen has a role in this episode, and I really appreciate it. I, I love Zuko's interaction with his dad. I love Team Avatar's interaction with Azula, even though there were times where it got a little too silly for my liking. Um, but overall, this was a, a phenomenal conclusion to the two parts, and um, what a way to bring in, you know, season three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think this, you know, both parts of these are are quite are really quite good. I think that Charles brought up something in his initial thoughts about they did a really good job of weaving humor into this episode in a way that I don't think it all detracts from the seriousness of what's going on, but just adds a nice little break. Um, you know, when you're I don't know to- the Azula the Azula stuff bothered me a little bit with uh, Toph. We'll talk about that, but I I think in general, you know, for one of the few times that Avatar is doing, like, literally a two-part battle episode. I mean, this is, you know, about almost, you know, 40 minutes worth of battle. They do a particularly good job of, of adding enough, I think, at least enough levity to, you know, keep you on your toes and keep it from just becoming a monotonous slog. Um, I'm not directing that towards any fantasy epic TV show that has lots of battles. Um, so... Charles is kind of hitting on be, sort of the conversation we were in um, that I cut off a little bit. I want to sort of use that to pivot into a question. Really, what I think is the most interesting question of this entire thing: What do you think would have happened if Ang found Ozai during the eclipse? I like if he wasn't hiding and like uh, Ang happened to run down the right hallway. Bursts into Ozai's chamber. The guards are not that important because they're, you know, guards. And confronted Ozai during the eclipse when Ozai is completely powerless. He would have tried to arrest him peacefully. And I think Ozai either would have had a contingency for it and maybe go with the arrest and then find a way to escape or something. Or he would have... I feel like there would have been some type of contingency for him to defend him. Well, keep in mind that he doesn't actually know the Avatar is alive. But, I mean, just for, he knows the attack was happening. So it doesn't have to be the Avatar yeah, who kidnapped him. So, so, so you're him. saying he would have just sort of gone in, tried to arrest him, and then the sun comes back on and Ozai overpowers him and, and it, probably does. Yeah, exactly. Charles? Yeah, that, that, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that sounds pretty on par for 
uh, and Ozai plan of action. Like, I don't know, given, and granted, we don't see Ozai firebending that much outside of um, some few shots and then during the, uh, during Sozin's Comet, or during the time that Sozin's Comet is affecting the world, but, you know, guys, like, ridiculous. <laughs> so, I don't... Because... Fresh. Oh, go ahead. The, the reason I, I'm asking this question is is obviously the in the finale it becomes a very big the whole is Anne going to kill him thing becomes a really big deal. It's a it's it's a fundamental part of the finale, and Ang you know sort of has this existential crisis about what he's going to do. And my question is, why doesn't any of that happen here? Because obviously. The showrunners know that he's not going to find Ozai. But Aang doesn't know that. So my question is, do you think that Aang did not... Aang, who, in a moment we brought up earlier, before kissing Katara, says, I'm ready. This is my moment. I'm going to succeed. He seems pretty sure of himself. Do you think that that was entirely wrong? And I actually hadn't thought about this at all and was just no big deal. I don't think Aang at this point, he would hit. I think Aang conditions of victory were not killing him, but arresting or uh, de- uh, pulling him out of power without killing him. I think he gets the idea of killing him in his head from. From what? From Avatar Roku. Mm, when? There was the vision where Roku's like, you're going to have to kill him, and Aang argues with him. That's, a- that's after he's already started going through that existential crisis. I, it, I starts, think... it starts with they're in the training, and Aang is, goes up to strike down Ozai and can't. And all of the friends are like, what the hell? Why couldn't you do that? And... um. Oza, you know, and, and consistently there's this, you know, then it, it breeds into Aang completely freaking out on the rest of the group that they're not doing it. And that's when he eventually leaves to get on the Lion Turtle. And then the visions happen. Now, the question does get asked at the end of Southern Raiders when, when, when Aang, you know, Aang says to Zuko, like, violence, violent revenge is never the option. And then Zuko responds, well, then what are you going to do when you face my father? Like, what I'm... But I'm interested here because we spent a lot of time talking about how awful Aang has been over the last, you know, several weeks, the entirety of this book. We talked a lot in Nightmares and Daydreams about how it was a pretty dumb episode, but how it really didn't dive into Aang's psychology at all. It was purely played for laughs and it didn't accomplish anything. So what I'm wondering here is, is... Is Aang just gen- so not ready for this that he really hadn't considered what's going on and is essentially like overconfident to the point of ridiculousness because of the eclipse? Or is there something I'm missing here? Because I'm I'm just so confused how Aang thinks that he's going to face Ozai and hasn't thought at all about what he's going to do. I mean, I don't think it's that unreasonable, but 
a lot of this is just no one no one has good intel on Ozai's true capacity as a as a you know as a martial artist as a firebender um just because no one's seen the guy <laughs> do anything outside of Izuko, Iroh, and Azul pretty much for our uh, main story characters. Aang probably went in thinking, oh, he's power swinging the Eclipse, I can trap his limbs and stone, well, whatever, right? Prevent him from moving, and then even when the sun comes back up, Everybody he's seen until now is pretty dependent on motion. Bend anything. Well, then oh. let me ask you this question. Do you think that Aang is just sort of assumes that if he can get in front of the Fire Lord during the Eclipse, that the Fire Lord will just surrender? Do you think it's that simple? Do you think Aang no, no, was no. hit? I think he plans to forcefully imprison him if he could have made it that far. No, I agree. Not I agree. To kill I, think, him, but... I, I think he's with the eclipse where he has no power. It's like surrender, like that's it, or you're under arrest. There's nothing you. Yeah, but I mean, I think he would say that, but I, I don't think Ang would legitimately expect. I don't think anybody would legitimately well, expect it was the, not to the surrender. The reason I say that is because, as you said, we have we we the the. <laughs> The gang has no knowledge of Ozai whatsoever. So they don't know anything about his psychology. So what I'm, because I'm on some level, what I'm wondering is the experience that they have is with Zuko and is with Azula. Now, Zuko would be incredibly easy to have defeated during the eclipse. I don't know about that one. <laughs> in, that, in that Zuko would wrong-headedly say, I don't care. doesn't matter that I don't have my powers. I have swords. I have whatever. And probably do something stupid. And Azula would immediately surrender. In, Azula? In, let no. me finish. Oh, let me finish in service of waiting for the right moment to strike. Azula would go, I'm pinned. I'm just gonna... Whatever. Right, but they but they know... I shouldn't say but that. They have experience with both Zuko and Azula, right? Mm -hmm. They they know Azula is the type of person who... He, we, we saw it in... Um, what's that? The, the one where in the, uh, they're in the western town. Yeah, yeah. The chase. In, that's what I'm referring to. In the chase... Now, obviously, Azula doesn't actually surrender. But she does throw up her hands and say, I surrender, knowing that she's sort of in the in the vein that, not that Azula would have actually surrendered, but that Azula wouldn't, would sort of pick her, pick her moment carefully. Right, well, but what I mean to say is, given that background, I don't think the outcome comes the same way. I'm not arguing, experience. I'm not arguing for outcomes here. What I'm arguing for is Aang, clearly there has got to have been some thought in Aang's head He's going to face the Fire Lord, and something is going to happen. No, what I mean to say is that, based off of the experience with kids, I don't think... Granted, it's Aang, and he's got some 
interesting uh, relationships with logical uh, inferences, but you know, given what they've experienced with Zuko and Azul, I don't think that any of them would expect a legitimate surrender. So you're so so you're arguing essentially that Aang is just dumb, like that Aang is genuinely not thinking through what's going on here and really I mean, doesn't have a plan. His well, plan doesn't go any further than it's the eclipse. I'm going to encase him, his arms and legs in stone, and then I've won. That's his enti- that is what his entire plan is. Yeah, ask him to surrender if yes, if no, that same basic course of action. Encase him in, you know, enough of him in stone that he can't move, and then uh, bring slash wait for the rest of the you know, bring him to the rest of the army or, you know, wait for the rest of the army to meet him wherever. Mm-hmm. Either way. Because uh, I am... I think this is a pretty good indication that Aang genuinely is not ready. Which he's not. To be in this position. Well, let me ask you. What would ready look like? At, at this point, you know... Well, for Aang... Well, assume, it's, yeah, it's for Aang reckoning with what you're going to do when you face Ozai. I mean, I have very serious problems with the way they frame this choice in the finale. I, I really don't like the way they do it. With that said, the finale is the blueprint here. Aang has a legitimate existential crisis... An entirety about his identity, a full-on crisis of his own identity on what am I supposed to do when everyone, and to quote Ang, everyone, even my own past lives, are telling me I should kill Ozai, that that's the right decision. And yet, I don't think that I should. He, I think it's... That thought goes through his head. He has to think through it. Now... What his choice is doesn't really matter. That's not the point here. The point is that when Aang truly realizes that he is facing the Fire Lord, that Sozin's Comet is coming and he is, I'm, he, I'm facing the Fire Lord and I'm going to win or I'm going to lose, for better or worse, Aang has to immediately, I mean very quickly, has this moment of what the hell do I do? What am I supposed to do in this moment? That doesn't even remotely come up here. It's just like not even talked. There's no, there isn't even a scene of like Ang talking to Sokka or Katara and like, or or even like let's say he talks to Toph and Toph is like, this is how you incapacitate a person, like really easily. Like there isn't any mention of it. So I mean, it's a little different there, right? Because it was I almost demonstrates physically that any any it you know let's leave the energy bending aside because that was pretty much the cop out but you know in in that engagement he pretty much demonstrates that anything less than that was not going to be enough mm-hmm. uh that uh and, but remember, we, we don't, no one, 
again, outside of Azuzuko and Ara, no, no one knows how good or how strong of a firebender Ozai is. Um, so, at that time, without knowledge, I, I don't think it's that crazy to... to, um... So, for so him to what believe it, that it would have been enough. So what it sounds. So what you're. So what you're essentially arguing is this is overconfidence. That Ang doesn't feel like this fight is going to be enough of a challenge. That it's going to matter. That he's going to be able to overwhelm Ozai so well, so pow, so easily. It doesn't matter whether Ang during the during the eclipse. Yeah, during, during the eclipse. That he, during the eclipse, it's going to be so easy to thoroughly defeat Ozai. Such that I don't have to think about what the plan is. It's just easy. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fair. I'm I, I'm I'm wondering about this because I, I I sort of I don't know. I, I think that's a pretty reasonable explanation. Corey, well, I, I don't think I, I think it's again. I think you guys are going out of the fantasy. Even earlier when you guys were debating about is. Just defeating the firewood, the right move. Like, won't there just stay five of the leaders? Like, in all fantasy tropes, and again, like I always have to go back to Star Wars because obviously Avatar takes uh, cues off Star Wars. You defeat the the lead baddie, you win. Um, like you destroy the Empire, you kill the Emperor. You no, win. but you and just said it. You and killed and the and Emperor. In this trope, what? You just said it. You killed the Emperor, though. Yeah, so, uh, again, defeat. Sorry, I'll use the word defeat. Uh, and in this... <laughs> fine, defeat uh, the emperor. <laughs> but in this, in this trope, it's... Aang thinks it's his destiny to confront the Fire Lord. And in this handicap that he has that he can't bend, he is going into it thinking, this has always been my destiny, the Avatar. I'm mastering the four elements, and now... I have the advantage that he can't bend, so yes, he's competent for sure. But, 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 Corey, if I would agree with you, if this was, you know, a lot of other fantasy stories, in that the defeating the big bad, defeating the final boss, is fundamentally like a thing that you would do, like. Goku has to defeat Cell, or Gohan, in fact, has to defeat Cell. The problem, though, with that and with, with saying that is that in like seven episodes from now, Aang is going to go through a complete again, a complete existential crisis over this very question. Uh, but with the handicap, it's, it's not like what you're what you're arguing is. Imagine. Return like Star Wars, the original trilogy, where Luke in Empire Strikes Back he has his confrontation with Vader, and in that moment he goes in fully intending to, like he just goes in he's gonna fight Vader and it's whatever, and then in the sixth one he has this whole thing where he will he won't fight the Emperor. Now I know technically that sort of happens because of the whole father thing, but that's like specific to Star Wars, but you, part of now, what if Luke was able to go into his confrontation with either the Vader you want analogy to, knowing that there's a window where they can't use the force? 
would that change it? It would. I don't think so. What I'm, what I'm saying. So uh, what I'm saying though is what it's. But then you're essentially agreeing. You're saying that this, what this comes down to, is that Ang is so overconfident, and maybe overconfident sounds like a pejorative. Maybe you can just say he is confident with reason because of the eclipse that he doesn't need to worry about the consequences. That that this is going to be such an easy fight that it doesn't matter. He probably thinks it's not even going to be a fight. It's going to be your defense. Um, that sorry, surrender. If you don't surrender, I you I'll put you in stone okay. and force you out. All right, that's that that that's a reasonable answer. I'm uh, that that's the question I wanted to to, to go through. Um, yeah. All right. So there's a couple of small little little things I wanna I wanna sort of talk about. Um, one really great moment of humor that I really do love is when when Sokka, Toph, and um, Ang first get into the uh, the room with the lava geysers, and you have Sokka's. We need to be fast, careful, and lucky. And there's something I really like about that line because I don't know. I've always sort of kind of hints at like the the fact that you kind of do need to get lucky in these kind of situations, and that like protagonists kind of by definition have really great luck, you know, because they're the protagonist. And I I don't know. It, it's like that weird kind of self aware. But not like, but not without breaking the fourth wall type of humor that I really, I actually really like. And I think they've relied on luck a lot of the series too. So I obviously, uh, he out of all people know that. So good thing to say. It, it, it's 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 a Sokka Joey Wheeler moment. Who has better luck? Well, Joey has the best luck ever, considering his entire deck is luck based. <laughs> uh, time wizard, He's... skull dice, graceful dice. According to Maximilian Pegasus, he's the third best third duelist, best in duelist of all time. Not as in the world of all time. Well, he doesn't live forever. So, as of season three of Yu-Gi-Oh! GX, Joey Wheeler is considered the third greatest duelist of all time. Although, granted, Pegasus counts both Yugi as one person. Yes, Yugi so. one, Seto Kaiba two, Joey Wheeler three, Aster Phoenix four, and Jesse Anderson five. You don't even know who two of those people are, Corey. I do not. Well, you should watch Yugi. Hey, I mean, Aster Phoenix is OP. That that's like one o real life that, that, world, that world is, championship. That is a that is a reasonable point. Um, also. I like Sokka's love of doors because cool <laughs> doors are cool. I, I agree with him. They're good. And the fact that Toph can break down those kind of doors are awesome. And I like it. So, Corey, you had some feelings about the Azula scene. So why don't we, why don't we clear out let you, you have balls in your hands. Like Azula making a sarcastic response to her being about the whole liar thing. Doesn't surprise me, but what she said was stupid. Like, and it, I don't know, just killed the tension. Like, the ten, there was a lot of tension the second they first, like, got in the room and were staring her down. And that, like, line, like, sapped out of me. Like, it's, I'm not saying it was out of character, but I'm saying I, I feel like Azula is smarter than 
that and would say a much more clever response than, like, what did she say? Call herself, like, a purple platypus or some shit yeah, like that? Yeah, a purple platypus bear with pink horns. It, that's, like, a very low-brow joke for me. And I feel like but she could have... Let me ask you this. Is it possible that it's lowbrow on purpose because Azula is essentially talking down to these people? No, I I, I feel and and uh, and also Top's response to it is like, oh wow, wow, I guess you were a pretty good liar. It, it, I don't know, it didn't any of the bases for me. All right, and I I just don't know. I I can't explain it. It feels. That felt childish to me. And what again, I think you're what I think you're saying is for Azula, who is very good at playing the really playing the game, she essentially shows her entire hand there. Rather than she could have easily said, "Are you sure?" Dad's down the hall to the left. Like sort of played, like try like instead of. Like, literally just being like, look, look, I can say a ridiculous thing and not act like I'm lying. Kind of been a little bit more... You would have preferred it if she was a little more... A little closer to can keeping up with things. Yeah. I, I feel like she could have done what she had to do. But also, like, play into her own strategy in a better way than just saying a really childish show. And uh, so, you, you, so you, would have, you would have preferred if, he, if she was like, Dad's down the hall to the right. Actually, right. Dad is down the hall to the left. left. And then, yeah, like, exactly. So, exactly. so what you're that. saying is you wanted a less humorous para and docs. Yes. Which is really maybe, becoming a Yu Gi Oh episode, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but, and, but besides that, that one line that really just didn't hit home for me, Azula was great and Azula's always great and it's just another and then that amplified in the fight they end up having where she's just playing the stalling game and she does it very well just a tiny detail I, I really love is the I mean brief second of doubt when the rocks crumble when we don't know quite know why there's just they hold that beat just long enough for you to be like what and then in, it's the dilate and then it makes perfect sense and it's it's not like it's not like they held it for like if they had held it for like a minute it would have gotten stupid but like they held it for like just a little pause when you're like what oh and on top of that i this is an a, a really interesting thing that i was was thinking about is why is the dilate guarding her and not may entirely Uh, May and Tylee uh, are, ju- are the Eclipse has no impact on them, but it's the Dai Li guarding. I think that does kind of maybe begin to show that in a moment of this is an actual invasion, and while they're not taking it too seriously, it is still an invasion. Azula goes with the professionals over the friends. Sure. I don't know. I think there's something. I think that the fact that we're leading very quickly into, like, essentially, I think the next time we see Azula. No, no. Oh, no, yeah. The next time we see Azula is uh, is in the Boiling Rock when 
Like, they're going to betray each other. I think it's interesting that, like, they're not together in this moment. Uh, I mean, we, we we started to see some dissonance even back in uh, Ember Island players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Azul is very, as you mentioned, she's very practical. Uh, if she's not sure, pick the professional <laughs> option. Yeah. That's it. I, know, but, but, I think it makes sense. I think knowing knowing Azula, it makes total sense that she would that the Dai Li would be what what's protecting her. I just think it's interesting that it's not as though her friends would be hindered by the eclipse in any way. And oh no, 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 I mean to double down on that to mm-hmm. say like uh, it, it's not just pick the professionals over your friends. It's now that you're there's some seed, you know, just. Uh, my reading, some seed of doubt as to how much of friends they are. Mm-hmm. In her mind, she she doesn't even want to take a risk of possible betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. As you mentioned, next time we see her, that actually happens. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much it for the gang until the actual ending ending. So let's pivot and talk about what is probably the even better part of this episode the confrontation between Zuko and his father, Ozai. Um, so, I, this, for me, this is just Avatar at its best. It is, I, it's perfect. I don't know what else to say. It's so good. Yeah, the, their interaction between, with each, first off, this is like where you, this first episode where I think Zuko is fully, obviously, made like the full transformation you see so much of Iroh's teachings and like just what he was sprouting to his dad. The dad was perfect there, in his response. There's such a perfect little thing where when Ozai says your uncle's gotten to you, and <laughs> Zuko has that just that little smile. Like he can't contain that little bit of a smile when he responds, "Yes, he had." Like you can feel like that like that love there between the two of them and it's a totally like such a small detail but i i I love it so much um the i really like the way that zuko weaves in the the fact that the entire lie of the fire nation has collapsed for him that one of the things that's i think very important is that the regular people of the Fire Nation are victims of the nationalism that comes from an authoritarian regime. Now, we can have a very legitimate debate in the real world about how much culpability various people within evil regimes have. And that's a really serious debate, and I'm not saying we're going to shy away from it, because we usually don't. But I do think that it's important to remember that the fire people of the Fire Nation, including the Crown Prince, has been lied to, has been conned into believing a very false narrative about the world, that the Fire Nation, as Zuko says, is the greatest nation in the world, and that the war isn't evil. It's a way to spread the goodness of 
the Fire Nation and the, 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 the Golden Age with everyone else. And we heard that from Sozin as like kind of the initial seed of that at the very beginning of all this. And I think it is important to understand that, that na- nas- the lies that are, come from nationalism are not, are not just terrible because of what they do for outsiders and what they do for you know, those who are oppressed by nationalism. Obviously, those are the victims who we need to be the first, like most. Uh, we need to think a lot about. But those who are within nationalism are also victims, are also being conned. And while obviously Avatar is, you know, we're talking about pretty a uh, reasonably long time ago now. I mean, almost ten years ago. Thinking about that in today's context, with you know quite a bit of rise of nationalism, both in the United States and throughout, you know, a lot of the world. It's important, I think, for us to remember that, that many of the people affected by nationalism, who believe in nationalist rhetoric, are not necessarily inherently evil people on their own. They have been conned by evil people. Ozai, who is inherently evil. Everything about this you can see, Ozai is just a despicable, awful human being. But many of the people, some of the people who follow him, follow him because they've been had, they've been conned, and I think that that is an important thing that we don't say enough of in moments. And this, I think, is really a great highlight of that. I agree, and even the Zuko's responses to him about how he, like, that was his self-realization that he was conned. Uh, ring as true as ever. He was. He just felt betrayed, and then he like. I think everything at once clicked. Not only did he realize that all of it was a lie and a falsehood, but that Iroh and all his subtle teachings that he was slowly planting the seeds for, and while like raising him as a de facto dad is like the, what's actually true. And back then, Zuko was so confused. He didn't know who was right, and uh, that's why he was so angry all the time. Not only because he was an exile, not loved by his dad, and, you know, not crown prince anymore, but he was just hearing so many conflicting things, like, throughout his, like, being raised. Mm-hmm. Any dad, Charles? No, I mean, this this moment is pretty perfect. Um, <laughs> so another, another question kind of going on, the what happens with these kind of things. Do you think when Zuko says, "I am is not my job to take you down; it's the Avatar's job." Do you think that that is a true statement? Do you think that Zuko is being honest and saying, "Look, if I strike down my father here, that is not the best outcome for the world," or do you think that that's an excuse because, as much as he has fully turned, he actually isn't able to quite strike down his father? Uh, that's a good question. I think if I were to, from what I truly believe, I would think that it was mostly him um, for more of the political context behind it versus him just not being able to do it. I think at that point, he completely has given up on his death. I... I don't think that's wrong. I, I think I think that's what Zuko believes. I think Zuko genuinely believes 
that in that moment and that he's sort of trying to take Iroh's teachings as far as he possibly can and essentially saying that Iroh wouldn't have wanted me to strike down Ozai in this moment. Iroh would want me to do it the right way and allow Aang or allow the Avatar to sort of fulfill his destiny. That being said, I don't quite think he could have. I think that it would have been tough for him in that moment to actually strike down his father, despite everything. That's fair, and you bringing in Iroh, I I could agree with you on that. Um, so, yeah, maybe I take back what I said. I didn't think of Iroh in that. So, is the implication of the story... Did Ursa kill Azulon? Is that the implication? Wait, I'm sorry, what did you... Did yeah, that one, Ursa, one, Zuko's one. mother, kill Azulon? Uh, how? In what regard? <laughs> so, so, we know Azulon died. Oh, I... You're... Sorry, I, I kept missing a syllable. No, there. not Azula. Uzulan, the fire. <laughs> is the it's... implication being that Ursa killed the fire lord? She I think killed the fire. I think it is. I think the implication is is that Ursa herself killed Fire Lord Azulan. What was the line again? Just the... Your mother did vicious, treasonous things that night. Um, yeah. And that Ozai needed a plot, like, needed deniability, needed an alibi, for lack of a better term. So having Ursa be the one to kill him and force him to sign over, like, sign a le- essentially a sign away Iroh's inheritance gives Ozai deniability now is it safe to say that he is like go turn him against the mother no i don't think so i think it's completely true i mean we also kind of we do know what eventually happens spoilers for the search but so then yeah yeah I won't comment on the method, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. And then... Redirecting Lightning is so... No, 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 let me bring up, not only... Forget about Redirecting Lightning. I love what the Fire Lord's Lightning looked like. It looked different than Azula's, and, like, it looked more, like, bright and, like, wild and, like... Right? Like Zul's is like two bolts. Iroh's is like I mean Ozai's is a lot more. Not only like, and that also It's and the difference between the... Zapdos's lightning and Pikachu's lightning in Pokemon the movie two thousand. But it's also forget about that. I also think it's in their characters. Azula's sight. It's a very sight. Yes. For Azula's it is it is the she is extremely precise. 
And with him, it's just a wild explosion of power. It's very accurate. It's like, I love the characterization in that. Just like, yeah, it's really cool. Although an interesting question. Let's say he had just gone full power fire. Would he have won? If he won? In that moment, in theory, now he doesn't know Reed Electing Lightning exists, so that's why. He is sort of going for like the is as clean a kill move as he can have. That I'm gonna shoot you full of lightning and you're gonna be dead. Interestingly, that is the one move that Zuko is perfectly capable of defending against because of the redirecting lightning. So I'm um, what sort of an, kind of the interesting irony there. If I if instead Ozai had just like gone for absolute full power fire, he probably wins. I don't know, and just because. Um, Ozai's I, definitely be a better firebender than 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 Zuko. But yeah. I feel like he. I feel like there's like a he could have dodged. Maybe he could have. What I'm saying is it's, it's interesting that by going for what he thinks is kind of the, the surprising kill move, he has actually opened himself up to being more vulnerable than he should be. Sure, but you mentioned it, right? No one... This is Iris' technique. Literally, at this point, two people... Oh, no, no I'm not saying it. he shouldn't have done it. I'm just saying there's an interesting, like... There's some interest, an interesting parallel there to sort of... Ozai thinks that he is giving himself the upper hand. However, by doing that, he has played into Zuko's hands. And I think that's interesting, especially for a family that is really is built upon this sort of... Who is one step ahead? Who is plotting? Who is this? And I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's I think that's interesting. All, all the shows is that Iroh. Iroh's always shows. been. Iroh's always been the best. We all we, we all know Iroh's the best character now. So speaking of one, speaking of Iroh, holy shit, that prison! <laughs> <laughs> Just like, oh my god. Yeah, but what's what I find great about it is is you have to, you have to think that for Zuko, who knows there's an invasion going on, the implication there is that like, Earthbenders stormed it or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, he he shakes the guard, right? No, no, I'm saying before he gets to the guard. Oh. So he's like running into this prison, and it is fucking destroyed. You gotta wonder what's going through Zuko's head in that moment. Well, yeah, he immediately was like, where is he? Yeah. And then I I also kind of like that we didn't actually get to see what happened. That, like, we only see the aftermath and we hear about it. But, like, we get the kind of, we get to have the imagination of, like, holy shit, what did Iroh do to that place? (laughs) I love that too because I think you want to avoid showing Iroh in any light just to protect his character. So, like, if you saw it all on screen and watched him just like completely destroy and 
hurt people. I think that actually would have detracted from his character. Well, they did deliberately yeah, make it so that the one person that he clearly hurt was a dick to him. So it's like, yeah. it's all okay. And then, and it was just like in part one. Like, yeah, he sent, hey, he sent yeah, maybe, the girl home. Maybe you shouldn't be here tomorrow, you know? <laughs> that, that, that was a pretty good scene. Also nice how uh, he he didn't um, he didn't get pissed like served poison tea. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm yeah. Just saying. yeah. All right. So, all right. Now we come up to the uh, to the actual ending. The airships sort of fly up, and uh, that's that's a moment. Just seeing that, seeing like first the the war balloons, and then the the big blimp the actual blimps and that was that was kind of powerful a little bit yeah. Yeah. i like that they go full-on like the, the 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 like the full-on bombing shot that we've seen in like every like world war one world war two movie with like you know the the seeing the bombs drop from the plane that was so like, i've seen that shot a few times before everything in like the fights the technology all just wonderful seeing old school technology mixed with bending it's, it's so perfect and i love that you have like just the fact that the mechanist is there so it's like the guy who invented it can is like there to witness this and you know he has an emotional reaction to it obviously um, so i'm saying it was yeah so how do you feel about the line we tasted victory and that counts for something do you believe that tasting victory counts for anything um against an empire yes okay <laughs> i'm being a little i'm being a little trolly with this question are you being facetious i'm, I'm trolling just a, a touch because it's obviously a pretty you know weird uh weird question um so I, so this is one something that I find sort of interesting in the context of all of this because we've, we've talked a lot about Aang, but finally in this moment is the first time Aang kind of clearly steps up as on some level a leader that he is the one who delivers the thank you for everything you've done. I will be back. I will end this. You know, eventually I will win this war. It's kind of, it's interesting to me that it, it took all of this to get Aang there. I do think Aang is, is finally there, right? Yeah, well, from, yeah, from this point on. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of there. Um, I mean, kind of. I think this, this was 100% symbolism that he was fully there. <laughs> And then he's his crisis of character in. Yeah. Yeah, but, but, like, that's but I mean, what I'm saying is, we. Is I think it different? That, what I'm saying is, I yeah. think that this is the. This to me feels like the first. Eh, not the first, but a, a true moment in which Aang has fully accepted that this is on him. I mean, t to me, that statement. I, I don't deny that he's, you know, more and he knows that it's going to be on him. But to me, to shoulder that burden truly, 
it's really mean when you say, mm-hmm. I will be back, I will defeat the Fire Lord, I will, so, I will rescue so all of you. It sounds like you were saying not until the finale. Aang truly is not ready until he meets the Lion Turtle. Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, just my opinion, but to make that kind of statement, you have to be prepared for all of the actions, the burdens that you have to undertake mm-hmm. to get to that result. And mm-hmm. as we see clearly, he isn't. He yeah. just is No, that's that that that's reasonable. I I'm I'm just I've been wanting this from Ang. I've been wanting Ang to take some to step up and be a leader, and it like took until now for us to even get any of that in this whole exercise. And I think that's good. I mean, again, he, you, you know, as well as he took so long and it feels earned now that he's finally at the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a pretty big distinguishment from uh, another avatar in that respect. Yes. <clears throat> yes. So... We're going to have another Mark complains about the last 10 frames of an Avatar episode moment. We're back here, but we're doing it. Because I really think the last visual of the episode should be Aang flying away on Aang and the rest of them flying away on Appa. I think the added Azul line about don't worry, we'll get the, you know, we'll get them later, whatever exactly she said, they'll be back or something. And then Zuko flying off to, to join them, I think is superfluous. And I think that it is, I think it weakens the ending a little bit. I think that the emotional part of this episode ends on Aang leaving. We know Zuko is going to join the Avatar. He's already told us that. So we know that's happening. The line from Azula has no means nothing. I mean, it doesn't like we know there's going to be a confrontation with Azula, and I feel like it's a much more powerful visual for what is like a, you know, quite frankly, I, I think this has kind of been my pet peeve that on a in a very sad ending, on an ending that is explicitly bad, I think that that last moment should be like kind of the hopelessness. I think there's something. I really love that frame of Aang, of Aang and the rest of them flying off and leaving behind all of their friends and family. And I, I just think that that adding something on the tail end of that takes away from what should have been a really powerful moment. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree. Although, frankly... I think it's more, in this case, it's more of a sequencing thing rather than, like, like in mm-hmm. other episodes where we mentioned this, it's like, all right, you would cut those, you know, that, like, five-second bit out, or however many second mm-hmm. bit out entirely. This one, I, I think you could, you would cut Zuo's comment, but the Zuko thing, you could probably fit in, like, a couple seconds prior and still have it end with um or you know shot a different way yeah you, pro- you probably could sequence it slightly differently and, and accomplish and then, that so yeah i'm not as this isn't quite you know um what's it called um 
Oh my god. This isn't like the frogs. Yes, I know. Basically. I'm trying to, I'm now I'm forgetting the episode name. The Blue Spirit. Oh. This isn't like Blue Spirit where I, I really have a problem with that that comedy. I mean I in theory I guess you could have sequenced that, that a little bit, but I even then no, you really couldn't. I, I have a problem with the way they did the comedy there. In this case, I agree with you that you probably could have fixed it without taking anything out. However, I really do have a problem with not ending on what should have been the most powerful emotional frame of the episode. That's fair. I agree. All right. So with that, why don't we uh, wrap things up with our final thoughts and our ratings for, and this will be our ratings for part one and part two. It's obviously a little different than usual, but you know, different is fine. So Charles, final thoughts rating for this episode. Uh, wait, we're, we're giving a combined, right? Combined rating, so just, you know, out of 10. When it's not a rating out of 20, that gets weird. Did we do the first book's finale out of 20? I forgot. No, we've never done it out of 20. We've only ever rated out of 10. Alright. I think I may have, I've double counted the rating, but that's... Uh, I mean, look, you uh, can, any rating you get out of 20, you could divide both things by 2, and it's... <laughs> it's how math works. Alright, 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 I got you, I got you. Uh, I mean, it, it. it's a great part of episode, you know. Um, the first, yeah, I, I have my nitpicks about logistics and whether in real life or with better tactical planning, uh, they could have, the events would have happened differently or uh, certain, you know, or just things would have happened that didn't happen. But... Um, that's those are just nitpicks, right? In terms of how they brought people back, and we saw a lot of memorable faces. As Corey mentioned, you're pretty rewarded for having watched through, you know, the show. Even if you hadn't seen it in a while, they give you little triggers so that if you had seen those episodes, you're like, oh, I remember. Yeah. And that's really cool. Uh, in part one, how it's like, you know, things are going well, well, and well. It's, um, oh, what's the, that framing device? Foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah it, it's, I mean, you know, it's the up arc until the end of that, and then... Rising action. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's more than just, like, rising action, you know, mm-hmm. climax and conclusion in this case, yeah. because there's also a positive and negative tone to it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because you can, you know, well, badly, or a good ending, bad ending, whatever. But um, obviously, the second part, there's a lot of great moments. Also, the stuff with Zuko and Ozai is just fantastic, mm-hmm. especially given all of, all of their history, all of that background. Um, just it's it it's a great two-parter. Uh, I don't really. I don't really have oh, any any major complaints with with it. Mm-hmm. So, rating wise, I think I'd give it a nine point four thereabouts. Uh, fair, Corey. How about you? Um, I absolutely loved it in every way. I- 
how, as I mentioned, everyone's back in the episode. Many arc is rewarded at the end, and everyone has a role play in the Everything with Zuko and the Fire Lord was perfect. Azula with Av- Team Avatar was great. The technology, the, just everything in it was just a joy to watch and visually stunning and just a blast to just sit through. And it really, this is the episode where shit hits the fan and as the end, you, you have Aang ready to face his destiny as the Avatar. And it was just... It was great. Azula's at full form. The Fire Lord's at full form. Zuko's at full form. Um, I, there's a few nitpicks here, a few nitpicks here, but overall, it's extremely enjoyable television and definitely worth like a nine point eight out of me. All right. Yeah. This is this is phenomenal. This is this is everything we've really wanted. Um, you know, the especially the the Zuko Ozai stuff is is just as good as as you can do and really very few other shows reach peaks like this um i I have nothing particularly bad to say i'm going to give this a 9.7 out of 10 this is this is phenomenal this is amazing um and now that this is over we are kind of in that last little stretch before the finale so it 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 was i think they do a really good job of setting up this this kind of mid-season finale that is also like very pinnacle very feels like a, a conclusion to some things but doesn't feel like it ended the story in a way that is like in any way that we there's still obviously a lot a long way to go so with that thank you to my panel to charles and Corey for being here thank you for watching and or listening um we'll be powering through into the western air temple soon and um then going into the finale so not that much left So with that, we'll see you guys soon.